So he really did it. He really did it. Peter walked on the water. Most of you know the account, Matthew 14. There were 10,000 reasons for him to stay in the boat. 10,000 really, really good reasons. So why did he do it? You know why. If you know the account. He wanted to do it. <laughs> he wanted to. Do you want Christ like that? He wanted to do it. You remember the account? Peter initiated the conversation. Not Jesus Christ. Peter did. Lord, if that's you out there, what? Bid me come. The old King James. I like it better than the old King James. Bid me come. If that's you, bid me come. I want to be with you even if it's impossible. Even if it's impossible, I want to be with you. Even if it makes no sense, I want to be with you. I want to be where you are. Also, obviously, Peter really believed that Jesus was the Christ. And he believed that for Jesus, the, 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 the impossible was, was no thing. Impossibility is no thing to Yahweh. It's no thing to God. And Peter had already come to understand that. Secondly, Peter received that invitation from God. Jesus said, come. And that's, that's the title of the sermon. That's, that's his invitation to all of us, right? You don't have to live small anymore. You can walk with me. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You can walk with me. You don't have to be anxious anymore. You can walk with me. Jesus said, come. It's the perfect title, in my view, to a short series in Hebrews 11. Jesus said, come, and Peter got out of the boat. Jesus invited Peter to a life-altering faith, and Peter obeyed. It's what I want for you and me as we look briefly at Hebrews 11. It's what I want for us as we process this wonderful chapter. It made no sense. It didn't add up. It was an outrageous thing to do, but there it is. <laughs> A man walking on the waves. Peter's real life experience in this context is a perfect metaphor, I think, for every true believer. If, if we know him, if we've met him, we all have this desire, don't we? Don't we want to? Don't we want to go with Christ? Don't we want to walk closely with Christ? Even if he's out there on the water, don't we want that? Isn't that our preeminent desire to walk closely with the Lord? Well, if we really want that, that's going to take faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. To follow Jesus, and we don't know really what that's going to look like in our lives. He'll call you to stuff that's not on your resume. Amen? He does this. <laughs> he just does this. It's not on your resume. I've never done that before. So what? I'm God. Right? He does things like this. That requires faith. Hebrews 11. Even if God's call looks impossible, we want to obey 
the living God. We want to. You know, the born-again soul wants this. I want that communion. I want that closeness, even if it looks impossible. Even if he's way out there in front of me. I want this. Most professing Christians honestly don't know what real faith looks like in your average church. God tells us in Hebrews 11. It's maybe one of the most important chapters in the Bible. He tells us what faith looks like. And we know that if we've read our Bibles, we understand that we are saved by faith. So it's a little bit important to understand what faith looks like. We understand that walking with Jesus by faith is everything. Nothing even comes close. It is. It is everything. The Holy Spirit says it bluntly over in verse 6 of Hebrews 11. I hope you have your Bibles open there. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to what? Please God. You can't please God without faith. So man, we need to know and we need to understand what it is and what it looks like. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of counterfeits out there. We need to do this for sure. We need to understand what Hebrews 11 is saying. The Holy Spirit is forthrightly telling us what a God-pleasing life looks like. And it's not always a common sense kind of life, right? If you've read Hebrews 11, you understand that. As, as I like to often say, you can, you can be a church member without real faith. You just can't be a lover and follower of Christ. It doesn't take any faith to show up here. It takes all the faith you have to obey Christ. If you are indeed obeying him, it will take all the faith that God has granted to you. In due course, <laughs> the, 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 the Peter story is a, is a great metaphor. In due course, he'll call you past your comfort zone. He will. It's what he does. This is universally true. He will call you out past your comfort zone. It will be uncomfortable and it will be unfamiliar at times. Just like it was for Peter. Now this next, this quote I'm about to give you, I give it to you like maybe probably, I don't know, five or ten times a year. But I have to give it to you because the last six words in this quote, um, I absolutely love. And God has used this quote in my life multiple times to challenge me not to be a weenie, right? Not to be afraid. Go on, go on with God. This is from 20th, pardon me, 19th century English minister Oswald Chambers. He says it like this. Faithfulness to Jesus means I have to step out where I do not see anything. Faith is not intelligent understanding, and I love this. Faith is a deliberate commitment to a person where I see no way forward. Are you debating whether to take a step of faith in Jesus or to wait until you can see how to do the thing? And here are my favorite six words written by a man who, who wasn't writing Scripture. Oswald Chambers says, Obey him with glad, reckless joy. And I love that. Have you ever done that before? <laughs> Without all the number crunching and calculation, obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. I think it's the call. I actually do. I think it's, I think it's the call of 
Hebrews 11. I apologize. You'll hear that a number of times as I preach over the years. Obey Jesus with glad, reckless joy. Isn't that what you want? I know that your average church member in your average church, he hears that statement and he doesn't really register at all. In fact, he shudders at the thought that I would obey Christ with glad, reckless joy. What does that even mean to the unconverted man? It doesn't mean anything. But to the born-again soul, he immediately understands that's what he was created and redeemed for. To walk with God with glad, reckless joy. Man, we're only here for a few minutes. Are you going to be afraid or are you going to walk with God? Right? Are we going to be afraid or are we going to walk with God? Yes, it sounds scary and perfect all at the same time. Don't you love it when the Bible does that? <laughs> it's scary and perfect all at the same time. Glad, reckless joy, obedience. If Jesus is God and if Jesus is good, and that's a, that's a shorthand take on Hebrews eleven six. He says he's a rewarder. He's a rewarding God. Why would we ever hesitate to obey him? Why? If we, if, if, if we you know, this is simply incarnating what we say we believe. I believe he's God. I believe he's good. So what are we waiting for? Why would we ever hesitate to say we believe that Jesus is God and Jesus is good and then live our Christianity in some kind of overly cautious, sheepish way? I think it's what they call an oxymoron. You can check me on that. If we call ourselves Christians, our lives are meant to be a very long, very clear, and very loud commentary on Hebrews 11.6. My God is God. My God is good. Jim, why are you living like that? Because my God is God, and my God is good. I don't need any more reasons. Hebrews 11.6 is all I need. And we'll be there next time. It's all I need. Our lives are meant to declare there's no God like my God. He not only is, He is good. He is a rewarder. He rewards His people. <laughs> you know, if you actually believe that's true, you'll live way different than if you don't. If you believe God's a rewarder, you'll live a whole different kind of life than you would otherwise live if you don't believe he is a rewarder. So we can be all in, right? We can be all in with, 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 uh, with Yahweh. And he's telling us here in Hebrews 11, this is what it looks like to be all in with me. This is what faith looks like. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in anxiety. I love what John Gerstner, famous theologian in the States, says last century. I love this. Faith is so vital, so crucial, that it has many counterfeits, right? It has many counterfeits. It's what we noted in the last several weeks as we looked at the book of Jude. Christianity is awash in counterfeit gospels. Sub-biblical, fabricated, man-centered gospels. 
You know the bogus pastors and ministers who have, as Jude 4 says, crept in unnoticed and who love to, 2 Timothy 4, tickle ears. Those guys we talked a lot about. But what does real faith look like? God shows us in Hebrews 11. It really doesn't matter what the denominations say. It only matters what God has said and He is pristinely clear. In Hebrews 11. First, God defines faith. And then so, you know, no religious professional like me can with any intellectual integrity dumb it down to some kind of denominational formula, which is the Baptists are, are one of the worst at this. Let me give you the formula. So I can't with any integrity dumb this down. God illustrates faith. There are 16 named illustrations. You want to know what faith looks like? It looks like that. <laughs> it looks like that. It looks like a life radically changed and radically poured out. That's what faith looks like. This is God's definition. I love how Francis Chan, and we'll get into the text, but I love how Francis Chan encapsulates Hebrews 11. <laughs> it's perfect. There's something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Does your life make sense to your unbelieving neighbor? Or your unbelieving colleague? Your unbelieving family member? Jan is right. He's not right about everything, but he's right about this. There's something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Believers. Again, our lives are to be a vivid commentary on Hebrews 11:6. My God is, and my God is a rewarder. Try and hold me back. Try and hold me back from that. Try and hold me back from that truth. Understanding how God defines faith and obviously how he illustrates it doesn't just matter a little bit. It matters more than anything possibly ever could matter. It doesn't just matter today. It matters on the far side of eternity. So I hope you have your Bibles open, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, it's the ninth book from the end, if you're not sure. As you know, I always teach out of the NAS, the New American Standard, which is the most literal from the original languages. But for Hebrews 11.1, 1, I must use the New King James. Um, they get it right, in my view. Verse 1. Now, faith is what? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. How is faith substance? Well, if you have a Greek lexicon, you can... You can Check it out. It's very clear. If you look at a lexicon, it says things like this. What this means is a thing put under, a substructure, a foundation, that which has foundation, that which is firm and real and actual and has substance. So what is the word picture? The word picture for us is, is uh, well, if you look at a building, what is it you, that you can't see but you know has to be there? The foundation, Right. You can't see the foundation, but you know it has to be there. It's one of the things this word is 
saying to us. It's a simple message. God is the foundation that is not seen, but is the prerequisite to all that is seen. Biblical faith knows the foundation is there. We don't hope God is there. We are convinced God is there. And I can live like I'm convinced God is there and that He is a good God. He's a rewarding God. Yeah, try to hold me back from that. Don't you want the reward? Don't you want it? Don't you want God's reward? Of course we want it. If we know Him at all, we want it. As verse 3 will tell us, biblical faith sees God's fingerprints all over the created order. We see His beauty, His power, His immensity, His complexity, and His genius. And if we're connecting all the dots here, we understand that He is the foundation of all that we see. Again, it's like looking at a building. You know the foundation is there, but you don't see it. We saw it last week in Romans 1.20. God says, My invisible attributes and eternal power and divine nature have been what? Clearly seen and understood through what has been made so that men are without excuse. He says, I'm, I'm evident in the created order. I'm substance and evidence. That's why faith is substance and evidence. Because it's me. Right? Because of God. Because of Yahweh. God's invisible attributes are a testimony. A testimony to who He is. His power. Again, His genius. It's like the foundation of a building. The second phrase here is, faith is the evidence of things not seen. How is faith an, an evidence? Well, very much like faith is substance. You look up the Greek word and it says things like this. It's a proof. It's that which is a thing that is proved or tested. As I already noted, verse 3 is, specific, is a specific illustration of this. Let me just read it. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. We know, ex nihilo, God speaks the created order into existence. So by faith we understand this. We, we, we don't theorize that God is there. We know He's there. Thinking people understand that. We know that He is there. Bible believers understand what competent cosmologists understand. Now, a cosmologist is, is a scientist who, who deals with the origins of the universe. He studies and theorizes about the origins of the universe. And science gets this one right. Science tells us that there was a beginning. You know, for millennia, uh, scientists believe that the, the, that the created order was eternal. Now, they know there was a beginning. There was a beginning. And thinking people understand that. It's what they call the Big Bang. You've heard of it. The Big Bang. When we look at the cosmos, we don't postulate some illogical, irrational, impossible, random event. We postulate the presence 
of Yahweh. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, the cosmos and everything in it is a message. Are you getting the message? You have a creator. And man, do you need to be in relationship with him. It's your, it's your greatest need. You say, no, Jim, my greatest need is food and water. No, it's not. Your greatest need is to be reconciled to your creator. The whole world and the whole cosmos, it's a message. God! You know, I, I was listening to Piper preach one time. I still remember. <laughs> I was running through the rice fields in Milan. And he says, every newspaper in every place in the world, every day, the headline should be, God! The fact that it isn't tells us everything about man. It tells us how far off the mark we are on a daily basis. Psalm 19.21, the heavens are telling it. <laughs> hey, you're, you're guilty, man. You're guilty. If you've ever been out in the, you know, and I know some of you guys have regularly been out, out away from the city and, and you can look up and you can see the stars, you know you're guilty. You've seen the glory of God, at least in part. You're guilty. Let me just read a couple of sentences to you. In light of the highly complex, beautiful, and finely tuned space, time, matter, universe, pulsating with immeasurable energy inhabited by conscious, self-aware, intelligent beings, a genius, omnipotent creator is, to the rational mind, quite simply necessary. Do you see what God is doing? You know, the, the, the created order is a commentary on the fact that you can trust Him. Is the sun going to come up in the morning? Yeah. Why? God wills it. Can I get up in the morning and believe and trust and obey God? Yeah. You can. For he is able. Yahweh is proved by the universe. You have a doubt in God. Yahweh is proved by the universe. He's proved by your mind. He's proved. So we don't have to deal with that silly question. You have to be a blindly committed believer in your unbelief not to believe that the Creator is there. I love how John Lennox talks about this, you know, the people who believe in a causeless universe. He says nonsense is nonsense no matter how many PhDs espouse it. And Brad has taught you well on this. Nonsense is nonsense. It's always nonsense. Doesn't matter how many letters a guy has behind his name. So real faith, biblical faith, born-again faith, it's not a blind faith. It's an informed faith. And it's firmly grounded, grounded in all that we see. It's not a wishing, dreaming, hoping, Pollyanna kind of blind optimism. Our faith is built on the rock. Biblical faith is substance and evidence. 
We see the foundation of all things. Yes, he is invisible to the to the naked eye, but we see him. We see the fact that he must be there. All things were created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 16. So do you see the inescapable conclusion from Hebrews 11:1? 1? Biblical faith is substance and evidence because its object is Yahweh. Yahweh is the substance of things hoped for. Yahweh is the evidence of things not seen. It's like cheating, isn't it? Isn't Christianity like cheating? <laughs> As Oswald Chambers says, you know, God will tax the farthest star. He will tax the power of the farthest star. To work what you need in your life. And, and, and no one can stay his hand, right? It is to me. I often think it's like cheating. And we understand. We don't have faith in our faith. You know, you got these, you got these guys running around. These name it and claim it guys and these word of faith guys. And they have faith in their faith. They have faith in their faith. I'm going to believe enough. I think it's heresy. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in Yahweh. We have faith in the God who spoke two trillion galaxies into existence. Don't ever make the error of having faith in your faith. Yeah, the men and women of Hebrews 11, some say they were extraordinary, but they were only extraordinary because their God was extraordinary. That's why they're in the book, because their God was extraordinary. It's right to say that, that, that Hebrews 11 is, is a, a catalog of faithful men and women, but God's the main character. Without God, without God there is no Hebrews 11. He in indeed is the main character. We can live real faith in the real world, and these men and women did, and you can too. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence, the evidence of things not seen, glad, reckless, joy, obedience. We have license. Richard Sibbs was a 17th century English theologian. And this is true, isn't it? Believers see invisible things. <laughs> Believers see invisible things. We see it through the visible. And again, we have license to obey and go with God. It's why God is talking about creation in the faith chapter, because Genesis 1-1 essentially serves as a kind of promise regarding a life of courageous faith. I speak trillions of galaxies into existence. Will you trust me? Wherever your point of faith is in your life, and it's probably different for everybody in this room, will you trust me? Do you believe I have the power to bring you through? Do you believe I have the faithfulness and the love and the kindness and compassion to bring you through? 
You know, a lot of professed Christians, man, when the, when the trial comes, it's, they just, they, pay, they bail. They bail. And the first thing you know, they're accusing God. Born again believers would never think of doing such a thing. So an awesome creation equates to what? Oh, you guessed it. We're connecting the dots here. An awesome creator. So we are free. You, are so, you can't imagine how free you are in Christ, right? You can't imagine how free you are not to sin and how free you are to, to, to go with God out of your comfort zone. You're just, you're just there, I, don't, I don't have enough descriptive terms or enough time to try to communicate how free we are. You know, when, when God, back to this whole point about the created order, when he, when he brings his, when he lays his bona fides before Job, what does he do? He points to the created order, right? He says, Job, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Did you create or have you ever commanded the morning? Did you create or have you ever commanded the waves? Did you create or have you ever commanded the stars in the constellation? God asked Job 70 questions. Job got none right. Actually, he put his hand on his mouth and he laid on his face. This is what men do, thinking men do, when confronted with the all-sufficiency and omnipotence of Yahweh. The point here being made, God is infinitely and incomprehensibly above us. Seriously, Job? Or we could say, seriously, Jim? You're doubting me now? <laughs> You're doubting me? Seriously? Really? You want an audience with me? Yeah, Job wanted an audience, man. But when God showed up, bam, you know, bam, he was on his face. If we are so free, it begs the question, doesn't it? Why is our Christianity so often anemic and so often timid? So, I'm going to just ask you, are you emboldened by the creator power and genius of Yahweh? Are you emboldened? Are you? Are you free? Verse 2 tells us that by faith the men of old gain approval. Back to verse 2, for by it, by faith... The men of old gained approval. We understand our Bibles. I don't have to belabor this point. You guys know it. You've been well taught for a long time. The men and women of Hebrews 11, they're not saved because they did what they did in Hebrews 11. They did what they did in Hebrews 11 because they were saved. And, and, and we, don't have any, we don't have any misunderstanding about that. I know you've been well taught for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that anyone should boast. You heard Joe read the text. Verse 4, verse 4, by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up. It's all by faith. It's exercising the God-given faith that we have. God says, I save men through faith. And then men live like I am and like I'm good. Shorthand, Hebrews 11. I saved my people by faith. And then they live 
like I am and like I'm good. I've promised the reward. They, they want it. I think it was in one of the songs. His love is what? Our reward. God is our reward. Calvin said it perfectly. John Calvin, faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is not alone. It's always at work, right? James, the writer of James, half-brother of Jesus, he has those great statements in uh, the first and second chapters there of James. God says, hearing without word doing is self-delusion, James 1.22. God says, talking without word doing is useless, James 2.20. God says, a do-nothing faith is dead, James 2.17. And, you know, I don't, the whole message Bible thing, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I know some people like it. Well, it's just, you know, it's not the Bible, okay? It's, first of all, it's not the Bible. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. But Peterson's best paraphrase in the whole message Bible is this. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I love that. I love that paraphrase. It's outrageous nonsense to have God talk in your mouth and no God acts in your life. It's outrageous nonsense. We're supposed to be word doers. That's what's happening in Hebrews 11. These guys are doing the word. These women are doing the word. Were they perfect? No. None of them were perfect. Some of them had really engaged in some scandalous, some scandalous things. But you know, with a born-again believer, you can't, you, you, you really, you know, who's maturing and in love with God, you just can't hold it in. The works are going to spill out. They're going to spill out. You can't, you can't hold it in. It has to be expressed. My love and devotion and adoration for this God, it will spill out. It's what the Bible is describing. You know, I've always loved the wind analogy. It's an old analogy. Faith is like the wind. You can't see it, but you always see its effect. Amen? And if the breeze is blowing through your life, everyone will feel it. So if we are saved by, by God-given faith, Ephesians 2.8, God-empowered acts will be spilling out into our lives. It's what Hebrews 11 is saying. It's what conversion looks like. My people believe I am. They believe I'm good. Ergo, works of faith. Deeds of faith. Beloved, read Hebrews 11. This is the message. I'm God and I'm a rewarder. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> this, is what, this is what he's saying. Oh, I'm God and I'm a rewarder. What are you going to do with that? Is that just nice theology? And you, yeah, amen during the sermon. That's great. Yeah, I believe it. What are you doing with it? Do you really believe it if you're not doing anything with it? Do you really believe it? So why did Peter get out of the boat? Tell me. He wanted to. He wanted to. Just like you want to. Live a radical life of faith for the glory of God. Amen? 
you know, I was critiqued sometimes about saying things like that to young people in Milan. You know, we always had a lot of young folks. You know. Well, Jim, you don't, you don't know what they might do with something like that. Well, I hope they'll glorify God, whatever that looks like. You know? <laughs> you know, we're free. We're just free to obey with glad, reckless joy. I, I guess I want to ask you, and I'm done. I'm going to ask you, do you have an appetite for this? Do, do, you, do you feel a tendency to, to shrink back, or do you, do, you, do you feel a tendency to lean in? You know, what are you feeling in your heart, your soul, and your mind right now? Do you have an appetite? Is he that interesting to you? Is he that beautiful to you? Peter didn't have faith in his faith that day on the sea. He had faith in God. He had faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the substance of things hoped for. Jesus is the evidence of things not seen. He is the foundation of Peter's outrageous notion that he could indeed walk on the water. So, this is the, pray, this is the prayer I want you to pray as we, as we spend a few weeks in Hebrews 11. Lord, bid me come. Okay, this is going to be about, this is going to be about, well, however many weeks it is. Lord, bid me come. Okay? You know, and sometimes I forget, but you know, this is a prayer I want on my, on my lips all the time. Lord, bid me come. Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And we know what he'll say. What will he say? He only has one answer to that prayer. What? Come. You know, I always hear people, the young people used to ask me, oh, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I, uh, you know, ask, ask the Lord to bid you come and then do what's in front of you. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. Let me ask you this. Do you love him enough to pray that prayer? Do you want him enough to pray that prayer? It is the perfect prayer for Hebrews 11. Lord Jesus Bid me come, and he will say, come. Come and see how awesome I am. Come and see who you're supposed to be. There may be some of us in here not sure exactly who we're supposed to be. Well, the Lord will help you sort that out. He'll help you sort that out. It's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Discovering just how awesome our God is and discovering just who he has redeemed us to be. So for all of you who have ears to hear, be listening. If you're going to be praying it, let's be listening. Come. Come. Let's pray together.